0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is
1: Jim Shooter, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel
2: Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Epic Marvel Podcast. We are back once again to talk about the Eternals. This is part two of our conversation about Jack Kirby's run on Eternals, uh, covering a period of the Eternals from 1977. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your co host, Eric Findlay. And I'm your other co host, Craig. And we are going to cover the back half of what is collected in the Eternals by Jack Kirby Complete Collection. Today we are talking about the Eternals, issues numbers 11 to 19, plus the annual number one. Okay, where did we leave off last time? uh, For those of you who didn't hear last week's episode... Well, the Celestials, are uh, they've come to Earth, and they are going to pass judgment, and all of our friends in the Eternals and the Deviants are kind of working together to figure out a way to save the planet, because none of them want it destroyed.
1: Also, uh, Sprite just annoyed Icarus.
2: Yeah, <laughs> uh, very important. Dr.
0: Daniel Damien, an archaeologist, and Ajax are stuck in the Andes in a dome uh, with a bunch of Celestial artifacts, where that that's sort of where the Celestials have set up their base, and. Athena has gone to the uh, Deviants in Lemuria and she has left with um, Reject and Carcass, two of the Deviants who don't really sanctuary with the Eternals. And finally, Zerus has called all of the Eternals back to Olympia so they can find f- they can form the Unimind. Oh yeah, that's right. They, they actually
1: didn't call it the Unimind in that first issue. No, they, they don't. They just called it the Unifier. It's like Kirby had an epiphany
2: halfway through, yeah.
1: writing <laughs> a script like, oh wait, Unimind, that sounds way cooler, I should do that.
2: I, I got that sense through a lot of this. Yeah, I think so too. Like he, he picks up and drops concepts all the time through the back half of this book. Yeah. This kind of of a, a wild ride and then
0: sometimes it's named one thing and sometimes it's named another and then it's just oh brilliant idea i should change this right now
2: and we covered most of the the, the listener comments and all that kind of stuff last week so i think we can just jump right into the issues oh h- however before I, we do that i do want to say that this episode is brought to you by dying breed collectors at com, and you can use the code epic marvel podcast all one word at your shop in your shopping cart to save 10% off of any Epic Collection that you are purchasing that day. Uh, and for the month of November, if you are going to buy Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection Volume 6, The Death of Captain Stacy, you can save 15% with that code. That sounds like a great deal. Yeah, I think so. Also good for Captain Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's do this. So we're going to jump right into issue number 11. Who wants to start? I could do that. I, I was going to say, I think we should almost... Well, yeah,
1: 11 makes sense. I was going to say, I think we should jump into... Uh, the annual? The annual first, because it sort of picks
2: up after it, 10, although it... So... It's kind of weird. Where does it place it in the book? It uh After 12. So here's the thing... It doesn't fit anywhere. It doesn't fit anywhere, because as soon as Athena goes to Olympia, she joins the Unimind. Yes. But this clearly happens, I think, after the Unimind... Uh, it's a story the annual is a story that kind of just gets shoved in there with no real actual yeah. continuity yeah no
1: I know and that's but that's where I felt like because it didn't really have a continuity piece it was also sort of the uh, introduction or the follow up of, of Carcass and Reject leaving with like, they are arriving and, and as well at them
0: um...
2: Right. So I guess I can't remember. They appear though in issues.
0: They arrive in 12. They disappear in in 10. They arrive in 12
2: in Olympia. But then
0: uh, then it seems like maybe somehow the annual takes place in between those pages.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, wherever. Let's keep it where it's placed in the complete collection and discuss the continuity at that point.
0: All right. Issue 11. The Russians are coming. So the Celestials are about to strike. The Eternals are gathering in Olympia to form the Unimind and The Russians are gathering to consider nuking the Celestials.
1: I think it's such a dated, or not really dated, but like such a... um... An obvious story arc from that era, like an era-specific story, that the this great threat is the Russians, and that they could be like this ominous, ominous thing, like the Russians are coming.
2: Definitely a Cold War story, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And but I, you know, like I don't know, you would do that today the same way, and and even the the portrayal of the Russians, and um, it it fit really much in the stereotypes of that era, and I think it, it's an interesting piece that way.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the uh, this is something that Kirby. And Lee did all the time, if, you, if you're if you reading the early 1960s Marvel comics, it's like every other issue is Russian communists are the bad guys. Kirby, and I feel like this is kind of often the case with Kirby, uh, is that he kind of gets stuck in his ways. Yeah, he, he kind of gets stuck in his ways. And so here we have another story where he's kind of just going over retreads of things that he's done in the past. And the whole concept of the Eternals in general, like we we already we already know, it's a little bit derivative of the fourth world. And talking about con- concepts about the beginning of civilization and that kind of stuff that he talks about all the time. So it's actually kind of not a surprise that he brings up Russians in this as well, I don't think at least.
0: It was kind of a surprise to me that... I guess not really because they say the Eternals are everywhere that that these a bunch of these high up Russian government officials are or military officials are actually Eternals
1: I, I actually I did find it surprising though because they didn't have like a bunch of Eternals infiltrating the U.S. government or well yeah right or the United Nations yeah um, yeah they were all hiding but the Northern Eternals have... the Polar Mountain Eternals sorry the polar yes. polar Mountain Eternals <laughs> have infiltrated the Russian government and I thought that was odd within the context of how the rest of the Eternals have behaved the only other example of sort of infiltrating the the power structure of a society would have been Ajak with the um, with the Aztecs with the yes, Aztecs
2: right
0: as their as their god came yeah yeah um it, it might be this might be also part of the cold war writing but uh kirby portrays the polar mountain eternals as sort of more brutish and uh uh like tending toward uh violence and war i
1: thought he was portraying them as the voice of reason among a very aggressive and unreasonable group of russian generals uh, i mean well for, Druig, for, for compared Druig. compared to
0: the compared to the russians yes but then compared to the rest of the eternals like the rest of the eternals see them uh unfavorably
1: but isn't it um doesn't druig's dad say that it's the the influence of the russians on druig that has made him so unreasonable
2: yeah i could see that for sure i it's interesting to that these are technically the good guys and they're behaving like good guys amidst the group of russians but they kind of behave as bad guys amidst the group of eternals especially in the druid issue that we'll tackle later on in this episode
0: yeah age 196 i've allowed your involvement with humans to mold your character you've been influenced by the worst of their instincts yeah so he yeah
2: it's a pretty bold commentary on the russians
1: that because we know that the only humans he's been interacting with are the russian government officials right. and kirby has just commented that those are the worst of human
0: instincts <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh and you know it was uh, what was his name? Uh, Vul- uh, Vulcan. It was Vulcan. Vulcan. Who, Vulcanin, I thought it was. Uh, it, it changes a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> but in this issue, it's
1: Vulcan, isn't it?
0: Uh, maybe. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the guy, the dad, um, so, he is the one that breaks up this this like brawling that goes on. This sort of playful, supposedly brawling, yeah. maybe. But um, so he seems to be sort of reasonable, and then his children are less. And that's that. That's I guess who gives them the their their clan a bad name. Yeah, fair
1: enough. That is an interesting point you made without meaning to
2: make it. The, the inconsistency of names might be the most consistent part of this book. <laughs> this issue we're also introduced to Kingo, who is a, in this one, he's a Japanese movie star. So there's another example of an Eternal who is living publicly, even more publicly than maybe government officials um, as a as a human.
1: I know that Kirby was resisting the idea of trying to tie into the um, larger Marvel universe at the time, and he was also in a hurry to introduce just this vast swath of characters. Yeah, and, like create his own universe. And sort of create his own pocket universe, yeah, within within the Marvel universe, and he, um, like, some of his characters ended up grossly underdeveloped as a result. I think oh, for sure. Kingo would have been a really interesting character to explore, but also that would have been an opportunity to appease his editors who were pressuring him to be more engaged in the greater Marvel universe by taking an existing character, like, if you you had to have some sort of Japanese uh, Eternal. It could have turned out that the Silver Samurai had always been an Eternal <laughs> or or a not to one of the other underdeveloped Japanese characters, which were cool. at
2: the time very much caricatures. Well, and so is this guy. I mean, we only see him in two panels and that's in this entire series. And he's got kind of the traditional garb and stuff they what put, if
0: like uh, wolverine what was wolverine's wife's name um yuriko yeah. yeah
2: what if she were an
0: eternal yeah <laughs> oh but she died Oh, did she? eternals can't die it's
1: comic books she might not have actually died here
0: right. yeah
2: right we're also introduced to another character a lawyer professor or sorry not a lawyer archaeologist. But the archaeologist professor holden who is here throughout the remainder of the series but for no real purpose yeah, he got in the way. He just got in. The, yeah, S- <laughs> Cersei comes up and says, "Comic relief." Yeah, you would you would find this really
0: fascinating. And it's like, well, wh- where did you come from? <laughs> oh, and, and and speaking of that, um, they show up using this what here what they call this pop power, um, which is later on renamed. But it's this ability to just teleport, and so they have the ability to fly at great speeds and heights which they just refer to as levitating, and they have this ability to teleport. But then they also build themselves like flying machines so they can get around quickly as well. And it's like, well, if you can just teleport anywhere, why do you need other modes of transportation? <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, to sell the toys. Right. There were there were lots of Eternals toys in 1977, weren't there? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I did tell you though if there were, I
1: would actually track something. like visually this book is captivating. Oh yeah,
2: they have got great some characters and designs.
1: It's a bit of a slog to read at times like it it it's pacing is not always great, but um visually, especially like the ships and the structures and yeah. this, they're like the Celestials
2: awesome. are all so individually designed. Yeah. <laughs> well, you look at the polar um, the polar Eternals and like all of their costumes i feel like they're like straight out of he-man like because <laughs> yes. of the bright colors and the i don't know weird headpieces I- uh, icarus kind of looks like he-man himself yeah. <laughs> with the hair and yeah. stuff Uh, and it's not actually that far off from He-Man era. It's just because He-Man was what eighty-three or eighty-five or something like that. So really, then He-Man straight out of Eternals is what you're saying? Kind of, I think. What if we gave Icarus a sword? But I think that's this is also like the, the whole era, the barbarian era, is huge. Uh, at this point, right? With Conan, uh, he's like big in the comics right now. And that mm-hmm. brings, gives way to characters like He-Man. There's a lot of that kind of fantasy. Even though this is, it leans more on the science fiction side of things, there is definitely that sword and sorcery aspect to Kirby's storytelling and characters uh, through through Eternals, I think. So
0: this
1: is more like Zardos, the uh, weird uh, Sean Connery side. Yeah, that's a
0: weird one. <laughs> yep if you ever want to see sean connery in a speedo for an entire movie
2: no
1: one wants to see that
0: yeah they, then don't they, go they might areas.
2: have in the 70s uh,
0: so yeah anyway so with with this popping power uh we start to see actually i think we saw it a little bit before but like i think we talked about this last time where kirby doesn't seem to really have a great solid idea of what everybody's power that is um do all eternals have the same powers or do they have different powers and then things just sort of pop up as they're needed it's like oh just so you know we've got this power oh just so you know we've got this power maybe if dc
2: had done a better job defining the powers of the people he was trying to mimic then (laughs) kirby So Mike, I have a question: Are these Russian uh, Eternals like? Are they plays on Russian gods or Slavic gods? Um, I don't. I don't think Druid is a play on that. Well, Vulcan would probably be. It's probably uh, Vulcan, right? And is that that? But that is that Roman? Uh, yes. Yeah, I tried googling it actually. Already, (laughs) and I couldn't, I couldn't come up with anything. I mean, there is a list of Russian gods in an ancient Russian religion, but none of them seem to jive with any of the names here. No, I don't think uh, Druid to me uh, seems to line more up with like like
1: the idea of a druid. Like yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Especially his penchant for like
0: burning things and stuff. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he is the son of uh, Vulcan. And if Vulcan is from Vulcan, Vulcan was the god of fire. Okay, there you so, go. Yeah.
2: It's one of those things where it's like Kirby had an idea at the start of this series by tying it all into to Greek and Roman mythology. But then the further he went, he's like, uh, I need more I names. Like, I ran out of <laughs> characters. <laughs> Yeah,
1: but he sort of went all over the map with, like, he started with Greek and Roman mythology, but he went a bit
2: everywhere in the end, like... Oh, in the the end, absolutely, starting with these Russian guys, or maybe even starting with Sprite...
0: Uh, we get this weird scene in the middle uh, where the polar eternals arrive. they pop their helicopter um, to Olympia and they're set upon by the Delphin brothers um, I can't tell whether this is they're like having playful wrestling
2: or whether they actually like hate these polar eternals and are trying to
0: beat them up or or what
2: Oh yeah it's a completely pointless fight just yeah. to like take up space in the issue like there's no reason. For it,
0: I guess maybe to show you that there's infighting between different groups. But even those
1: characters didn't make sense to me. And again, you were talking about it was almost like he just was like, "Oh, there's one more Greek thing I need to tie in. Right? What do I do <laughs> with this?" Yeah, Um
0: I haven't, haven't mentioned Delphi yet. And
1: yeah, I, don't know. I mean, I'm amazed one of them wasn't named like collectively they aren't called like the the oracles or something. Right. Like it was,
2: but also I think Icarus's actions here are out of character. Like I, I feel like his character is not really well defined anyway, but he he already knows that the polar eternals are you know not that friendly of, of not not that warm of a bunch right so he's already expecting that sort of attitude toward them when they arrive and then these delphi guys come in and start a fight and icarus beats up the delphi brothers. the delphi brothers yeah it's like come on <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I don't understand this scene really at all. And and you would think that um, Icarus, knowing his family and
0: the rest of the Eternals, would try to sort of stand between them and break it up. But it's actually
2: Vulcan who does that. So I do like the last scene where the Russians go ahead and fire their missile at this blue celestial named Nezir. Fires the missile. And then, then the celestial uses its cosmic powers to reverse the missile and sends it right back to Russia. But no, he but it they
1: never actually
2: launched it. Yeah, it says it was never actually launched. Oh yes. yeah, it was. Yeah, that's right. It was just all in their minds. It's all in their yeah. minds.
0: But then the 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 fear of being nuked or nuking themselves essentially uh, drives them to heart attack.
2: Yeah. So kind of cool stuff there. There's some great splash pages, like the huge splash page of Nezer and the the double page spread at the very beginning of all of the Eternals coming to the to join in the Unimind. Very very cool. Mm-hmm. And that's an image that becomes pretty iconic in the comics of all of them kind of flying in a circle around in the sky yeah. to uh, to join in the Unimind.
0: Um, oh, and by the way, because we haven't mentioned it uh, today, and I don't remember if last time it was actually mentioned in the in the comics, we talked about uh, the Unimind is this unification of all of the Eternals from uh, you know individual beings into one collective being, and in order to access greater powers and abilities or enlightenment
2: or something, it's a little nebulous. Speaking of the Unimind, let's move on to issue number 12 this one's just called the Unimind. and this is the issue where thena returns we didn't see her in the last issue she returns to olympia with reject and carcass but then must join the rest of the eternals for the joining of the Unimind. basically that's the entire issue <laughs> What I'd like about this, so I really like the characters of Reject and Carcass. I think they're my favorite parts of this whole story. Totally. And I would love to have seen like
0: some exploration of those characters and learning how to be less deviant-like. So
1: it, it came last time in this place to Eric's old names constantly changing issue. Um, yeah. The Reject's name is Ransack, <laughs> but it doesn't get mentioned. I don't know if it gets mentioned at all, at this? all in this. No, no, so no. I don't know yeah. if Kirby is the one who named him Ransack. but. His, he is the reject, um, because he's been a re- he's a rejected deviant. But his actual name is apparently Ransack. It just doesn't. Nobody cares. Come on.
2: <laughs> well, and later on in the series, they just refer to him as Reject as his name, not even the Reject. He's just Reject. Uh, but what I really like about this is that Carcass is the compassionate one. He's the one who has who has more control over his temper and has more empathy. And I love that playing with expectations that, you know, the beautiful one should be the one who is more understanding or whatever, and the ugly one is the one who's more rough and and brutish or whatever and so it's like kirby tosses that on its head because reject is definitely the hot-headed one in this situation so it's Gaston on the beast yeah that's right it is yeah <laughs> and uh you know i was i was gonna bring this
0: up in the annual as well because i think the annual does a really good job of exploring and athena even
2: brings up this uh, dichotomy of inner and outer beauty yeah definitely yeah that's why i like these characters so much i think they and the annual is an excellent story for that even if it has no point in the larger story <laughs> I think they'll be contained in one book almost helped Kirby. He had to
1: control himself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, this one I, I the one thing I find disappointing, I thought the actual visual like visually I, I have been praising this book and I have I have been loving the splash pages and it's just sort of the like unique and incredible spaceships and structures and uh, characters and, and even the things that like are odd looking. Like Carcass is one of the weirdest looking characters and yet I it, it works so well to me. The visual of the unimind of like a <laughs> semi-formed yellow, glowy brain. But it's was so boring. And it's maybe <laughs> not even
2: a brain,
0: it's maybe a head with like an exposed over oversized yeah, brain or something. Like, or but like you, a, there's no
1: face so you can't tell. Or... Like a yeah, like a yellow colored version of those skulls oh, yeah. at the end of fourth Indiana Jones. Like they're just I don't know, it was it, it was a disappointment, like it was this, this hype moment, even the visual of them all flying
2: around in circles, like you said, becoming the unimine was so cool, and then like it yeah. was such a letdown. <laughs> well, you know what what else is a letdown is that the unimine itself serves no purpose. No, like... totally not. I was gonna bring that up later on. <laughs> <laughs> when they unformed the Unimai. Yeah, they unformed and nothing it, is solved. It, it
0: scanned some stuff. It it created the... Uh, it inadvertently created the cosmic-powered
2: Hulk. Yeah, that's it, though. Um, yeah. And, okay, and speaking of also pointless and useless, is what is the what the heck is up with this fight between Ajax and this wrestler that comes out of the wall?
0: Right. So part of the point was he wanted to prove to Damien, right? Dr. Professor Damien. He wanted to prove to, to Dr. Damien that, like, he has the abilities... and powers to like make sure that they survive this enclosure this time this 50 year period in the enclosure or whatever and so he does that by showing that he can rearrange the molecules on the mural into a living creature and then he just fights it
1: and, and also that he's a really good wrestler because he's had years to learn right um, yes but i did
0: yeah. i liked it because it was yet
1: another chance for kirby to slip in a reference to some older thing because um damien's response is sort of like oh you're like a genie in the bottle which yes. is sort of an allusion to the the 40 thieves story and, right. and like once again there's this suggestion that the eternals have been sort of infiltrating human history and yeah. human mythology. Yeah. True. Um, but but again, cool.
0: it's it's another it's another um eternal power that just
2: pops up because it's needed at the time. That's right. Yeah, Ajax gave no mention of being able to do that before. Yes, it's true. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. I, don't know.
1: I do I do think it's impressive though how many like of these cultural references uh that Kirby has snuck in here because he didn't have the benefit of Google, like we we can right. go and be like, oh, what you know? What, what did he mean by thieves? this? Yeah. What was? I need a list of Russian gods, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> Kirby. I mean, unless Kirby, you know, had a team of interns, he was having to do that himself. Um, So I do give him credit for
0: that, at least. Yeah,
2: Yeah. he must have been a very well-read person.
0: Um, Another random power that they're given in this book, in this issue, is that apparently Icarus and Circe can grant flight to other people. So they levitate not only themselves, but they also levitate Margot and Samuel.
2: Yeah, that's a great splash page with them all flying. It's weird because it's
0: like, oh, well, now you can make them fly as well. That's kind of weird, but okay, (laughs) sure.
2: But
1: also you couldn't do it when you were heading to the mountain you had to use an airplane that sprite crashed
0: yes and <laughs> and then other times you had to carry margo and samuel or just margo yeah mm. <laughs> it's yeah it's very strange but then oh and then one more thing Be- the part of the reason they're flying is because they're participating in this ritual to form the unimind so it's not just an eternals thing humans can also apparently join the unimind and maybe that's
2: why the unimind didn't do anything because it wasn't your <laughs> yeah. well, i wonder if deviants can join because yeah carcass and and reject were there but they were like so Sorry, you can't yeah. be part of the unimind. Yeah. Apparently you can't make Deviants fly. Uh, but you can make them pop. Yes. So at this point, I'm thinking there are so many great concepts. They just kinda all need to be pulled together a little bit because they're he's just going in many, many different directions. But then starting with this next issue, he, it just goes in a completely different direction. But
1: this next issue was sort of voiced out on him. Like he was under an incredible amount of pressure to Kirby was. Yeah. To um start bringing his book into the larger Marvel universe. Yeah, and and like you was... said, like you said
0: he didn't want it to be part of the Marvel universe. And we, we've seen it already there's been a little bit of
1: editorial influence in the first 10 issues when he had to bring in some Shield agents who he clearly didn't want to have there because he got rid of them pretty quick and they
0: and and didn't mention, he mentioned them once. He mentioned Shield once.
1: Yeah. And uh, at some point someone wears a thing
0: mask. Or... He transforms the somebody transforms a person's face into the thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's um well, we're not quite at the Hulk stage yet but the 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 other part about um the next several issues that's interesting is that it shifts from sort of these self-contained stories that have sort of an overarching you know narrative to these more overlapping stories that are very interconnected so like you know one issue will have the end of one story and the beginning of the
2: next that's kind of how Lee and Kirby have always done like the old, old issues of the Fantastic Four Oh, totally and stuff but yeah I,
1: I thought I mean if we head to sort of 13 to 19 as we hit the end run here the pacing is very different the the types of stories the action sequences um, it seemed to me very much to be moving back towards the sort of standard individual Marvel standard comics uh, that we're yeah. used to yeah
2: they, they in fact they drop the Celestial story pretty much altogether. oh yeah, yeah for it never several really issues. gets resolved uh, and then, so yeah, I agree. This is where the shift happens. It's like, we, we've been, the first 12 issues are kind of one big long arc. And uh, with with a continuing story, building up and introducing these characters and concepts. Uh, and sure, there are like some standalone, um, there are some standalone parts of each issue. Like, you know, Ajax battles a wrestler in one issue that gets resolved in that one issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. This now we're going to see maybe two issue stories or a three issue story uh, that's kind of self contained with and doesn't even really have to do with the overarching plot of this, the celestial stuff.
0: But before that, we've got the uh, a little interlude with the Eternals Annual Number One. Not
1: right. just the Eternals Annual, wasn't it the King Size Annual or something like that? Oh yes.
0: Yeah, they call them the king size annuals. Actually, if you, if you read all of this, it should be all new Marvel Comics Group king size annual, The Eternals, a double length action epic. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Yeah. Um and like I I do love this one really leans into Kirby's fascination with other parts of human history or human folklore with uh, with Jack the Ripper, with Attila the Han. Like he's mm-hmm. like, Yeah, like all this other cool stuff I really like from history that I found <laughs> when I was wandering in the library looking for the names of uh, <laughs> obscure Russian gods. <laughs> um but it's it, it's it's fun fun that way. Um it is sort of where the Eternals actually meet Carcass and and the reject. Um I don't know, but beyond that I don't know if it serves much. For a purpose other than to be like look we've got two new characters that we're really not going to explore
2: that much after this but here they are and welcome to the family yeah i it yeah it's too bad that doesn't have much of a point and that these characters are pretty much dropped after this but i really like this story because of the interplay between the three main characters that was really the highlight for me i couldn't care really about the the the, the villain zaka the tool master <laughs> who i guess created some sort of time Time to device. Where where he could pull things from other parts of history. Like that's a... But only temporarily. Yeah. It's such a classic Kirby idea. Like that's something you would see in the early pages of Fantastic Four or Thor.
0: I actually found that um, uh, or I also found that this has some elements of the older like suspense stories. Um, For example, where Zaka ends up um, as uh, he ends up dying in sort of this karmic twist where he's been um, setting all. All of this, you know, horror upon the on the city, and then something goes wrong, and it's now uh, aimed toward him, and it re- results in his death. Right.
1: I think it's interesting that he never really reappears in Marvel Comics. Like he, for all of the decades of time traveling stories, and like the number of times Kang has been in a new nu- a nuisance, and yeah, Doctor Doom has meddled with time and the multiverse and everything else.
2: Zarko the Tomorrow Man, and,
1: and yeah, and the way they've explored and expanded on other characters from the Eternals and. Given them names like, okay, the reject should be a ransack or, um, you know, we we should we should look more into how uh, we could put Cersei on um, the Avengers. Like they have explored, Marvel Universe has explored these characters, and writers have taken a stab at trying to expand um, this this mythos. And yet here's this Marvel loves its time traveling stories, and here's this time traveling villain, and Marvel has completely ignored his existence.
2: Well, they got Kang. Do we really need more than Kang and well, Immortus? And... I don't know.
1: I mean, you'd think that there have been like some moment where Kang like decided to off other time travelers. You could have even had like a
2: panel of like (laughs) Zakis being like, no, don't do this to me. You sure he didn't turn up in Secret Wars or Civil War or something? (laughs) He's probably there. Probably like (laughs) a background character or
1: Yeah. If not, I I defy all all current Marvel artists. Stick him in the background and see if anyone notices.
2: So I am also really impressed because we, we mentioned this last time. Kirby is pulling 13 pages a week, doing at minimum two monthly titles. I think maybe even... There was a bi monthly one in there as well. But then he also sticks on this giant size annual where he is fully penciling an entire, like 30 plus page story and sticking it in the middle of his schedule. So it's like this guy's a workhorse. He's. And it looks good still.
1: Yeah. I, I think though it partly is because it seems to have been a bit of a passion project for, yeah, for him.
2: Totally. I think it's
0: interesting how um when Zuras is talking to Reject and Carcass about uh, you know, you guys <laughs> are the ones we're gonna have to, they accuse him of saying, Oh, you just want us because we're gonna kill him. You just want to use us as so like a- your your weapon and your assassin. And he goes, No,
2: I'm not gonna tell you to kill, just do whatever's in your nature, <laughs> knowing full well that what's in their nature <laughs> is to kill people. Yeah, right. Uh... She's hoping that deep down, deep, deep down inside.
0: yeah. No, I think, I think he knows that, like, I think he wants to, uh, he wants them to kill him, but not admit it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So he, he tricks them into thinking it's their choice, not his. Plausible deniability, Eric. Yes, that is the phrase I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. In this, we also see Thena has uh, a couple of other abilities that she hasn't shown before. Um, the ability to, like, transmutate the form of things.
2: It seems like every Eternal has a transmutate ability at this point at some point yeah. yeah so
0: so again the question is do all Eternals have the same abilities or do they have different ones and some overlap or whatever but anyway only Icarus she, shoots I-beams though they, they, yeah right they say that her ability is just an illusion for Carcass but he's definitely smaller like he's still gigantic but he's definitely not as wide and some like so he's definitely
2: changed form like changed shape but isn't there one isn't there one panel where someone's about to attack him and then they see his monstrous shadow and they realize oh I didn't notice that I, I, let me find that yeah
0: um, but also when she transmutes people then they heal and that's an important thing for later on I think which I'll bring up later Um, but then also as you're looking for that um, there is, the, the person or the the creature who ends up killing Zaka is a creature called Teutonax and I thought correct me if I'm wrong I thought that Teutonax had a very kind of a parademon kind of um, outfit there. yeah like especially with the little yellow book thingies over the eyes and
1: no, i see what I see what you're saying definitely except for that it's blue, but except it's it's not, blue yeah he sort of has a blue on the chest though
2: oh I see so or a seagull maybe that scene I was mentioning with uh with carcass is when he's a fighting Attila and Attila sees the shadow but then it's revealed so it then it's revealed that carcass is in his actual monster he, form he so back. he maybe okay. he just changed right but yeah i mean in this one panel up at the top he's this one hun is grabbing carcass by the scruff of his by the neck of his shirt yeah. which he shouldn't be able to do if this is just an illusion right and he's like he's still I don't know
0: eight feet tall or something like that but he's yeah definitely a different size Shall we move on to the next issue, issue number 13? Sounds
2: like a plan. Sure. Uh,
0: This is a big one. 13
1: um, has the Deviants and the Americans launching rockets towards the Celestials. The Deviants with the intention of blowing up the Celestials with their rocket ship. And um, Sprite, who for some reason is not part of the Unimind, is hanging out in uh, Olympia and notices the plan. So Sprite, not knowing what else to do, uh, scrambles off to a previously unmentioned region to go and seek out the Forgotten One who yet another character that uh, eventually gets a name but not from Kirby. Yeah. Uh, it'd be the Forgotten One is Gilgamesh but not for the purposes of the next
0: seven books. He's
1: simply <laughs> the Forgotten One. Um, and the Forgotten One we don't know a lot about it other than he was sort of banished to live in this weird hut and Because of um, his
0: pride or something.
1: Yeah. He had deigned to interfere in human affairs which is weird because it seems like we've been doing a lot of interfering in a human affairs. <laughs> yeah. That seems like all they do. But um he, I guess, did it the wrong way or something. And so he's been there for his pride, but we need him for his power. And so Sprite gives him a fancy spacesuit. By rearranging molecules. Right. Yeah. Although, to be fair, that kind of was always Sprite's power. Like, Sprite yes, turned true. himself into a globby, yeah. snot monster thing at one right. point when that's he was right. being spanked. And Sprite's been consistent, more consistent in his powers than some of his right. his fellow uh, Eternals. But anyway, Sprite gives him the, the rearranged molecule spacesuit and a special uh, spaceship also. And so then.
0: Made from his little prison hut. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yes.
1: And so the Forgotten One also heads off into space to try and intercept the deviant missile, um, which he sort of succeeds with an assist from the target of the missile, because it's the Celestial yeah. in space, the One Above All, who um, another swaps.
2: character that we just randomly, randomly, He was, was mentioned before, was he?
1: Yeah, but, but never he, uh, we have never seen he. Uh, anyways, they they flip the the three people or the three ships' crews all get flipped around, and and so the Forgotten One ends up on the ship with the missile, which he succeeds in, in defeating. The deviants are unable to pile at the, their ship and they blow themselves up uh, and the uh, Americans end up somehow on a genius American Eternals <laughs> ship which they figure Astronauts. out how to fly which I find odd that the, the like very intuitive l- they realize that it's controlled by thought yes but like the deviants who are very technologically advanced didn't figure out the American like spaceship the, uh, like, like a joystick yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I feel is like they'd, down, have been, down a... they'd have been really bad at old school Nintendo yes
0: <laughs> um, what I did like about this is that it calls back to one of the earlier issues like i don't know issue 3 or 4 or something where uh the deviants have spent centuries essentially if not longer building up their defensive or even offensive power in anticipation of the celestials coming back it was mentioned when we are first introduced them that they have all of these um like huge weapons and things in lemuria in order to attack the celestials yeah. when they come back and it turns out they have this gigantic bomb ship energy bomb uh and got a great splash page of that there.
2: The, the Deviants... Um, There's two splash pages of that ship in this one issue. Oh, yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: The
1: Deviants' powers or the intensity of their weapons or whatever is another one of those things that I found frustratingly inconsistent throughout this series. Yeah. Uh, at one point, they talk about how we can't hope to harm the Eternals and then another point, they're like, we have weapons that will kill them and then we have... Or we'll kill the Celestials and then but not have, the Eternals. Yeah, we have a bomb. Like, we can blow up a Celestial and we... they I mean, it failed but they had one of their military weapons outposts attacked by a celestial and was destroyed. But they thought they had defenses that could kill a celestial if it attacked them. But well, they just I
0: didn't. Know. They just didn't want to waste it on the Eternals because they had to save it for the Celestial.
1: But they even had weapons that could hurt the Eternals, like in some issues. Like yeah. it, it's it's been another one of those things that I found a bit um, like either they can or they can't. And, and sometimes
0: <laughs> they're seen as like this lower, less intelligent race that is just about like brawling and fighting and. Fist and stuff but then on the other hand they're also super advanced
1: yeah i i found them a bit their 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 capacity or their ability to to destroy or to cause damage really frustrating because it was all over it was like it's like they're the hulk and bruce banner if they were on like xanax and they keep like (laughs) bouncing back and forth between like murderous rage and just like overwhelming drug-induced calm (laughs) and um and so they're only sometimes dangerous and i don't know i just found it really yep frustrating at times
2: fair enough so the Forgotten One, this is the only appearance in, in the whole run of this character, but he comes back and eventually joins the Avengers. And he's got a really cool concept when he's in the Avengers because they really, um, I can't remember who's writing Avengers at the time, might've been Roger Stern maybe, or I can't remember, but they, they, they take his character and really play on the Forgotten One. So like he's on the Avengers, but as soon as he's out of people's sights, he's Forgotten. So in every issue, he has to reintroduce himself to his teammates and they go along on their mission and then he he steps away. And then when he comes back, they don't remember him again. He's And I love that concept. I think They're, it's very cool. They
0: brought back that concept in the X-Men for a while with a character named Forget-Me-Not, whose power was, as long as he's
2: not observed, people forget him. Right. Yeah, that's exactly Gilgamesh.
0: Yeah, and so that was, that was an interesting uh, interaction there. Um, Gilgamesh was also part of a um, uh, god team that was sent to fight the god killer more recently and so uh there was like uh thor and the god butcher the god butcher yes yeah yeah yeah. simon was
2: the writer oh of um avengers of avengers oh yeah yeah that's right Yeah, yeah yeah Okay, shall we move on to this uh, next issue here, issue number 14, Icarus Battles the Hulk, which is really the entire issue. This is really... <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's pretty
2: self explanatory uh, Yeah, this, this is, this is the, the issue where, you know, Kirby is forced to I- insert some sort of aspect of the Marvel Universe into his issues. So this he has, does it... This is also sort of where we abandon the um, celestial story. Yeah, <laughs> we completely do. So this Hulk story takes up pretty much the next two and a half issues. Icarus and the Cosmic Powered Hulk. And it's obvious through a lot of the dialogue, Kirby goes out of his way to explain that this is a character from a comic book. Yes, that this these- is definitely,
0: yeah. The, the, the loophole for his editors is that, okay, uh, I'll put in the Hulk that like you want me to, but this is not the real Hulk.
2: Yeah. So these these college students have made a robot as a college mascot of this comic book character that they like called the Hulk. And because of the Unimind, the unimind is just like spewing cosmic energy all over the place and it goes in this in this this robot and so now the Hulk has become an actual raging mindless monster. And that that of course is just kind of ridiculous in itself, but it's kind of on par with what's going on with the Eternals <laughs> so so anyway the, the Unimine dissolves and it's up to Icarus and Circe and and Mercury to kind of try and try stop, to stop the yeah. Hulk and that's kind of this entire issue and that's kind of the entire next issue as the, well
1: the next issue yeah the only the only thing I find interesting is there's sort of a, a callback later I think it was Jeff Loeb who had the Red Hulk fighting Icarus again uh, in the 2000 um, and to me that was very much a callback like okay let's tell this could Icarus actually go <laughs> toe-to-toe with the Hulk. Yeah. Okay. Here yeah. he is fighting a Hulk. So again, one of those times where later writers have tried to revisit this book and mine it for some ideas. So there is there is a, a more recent Icarus-Hulk
0: fight. In this issue, uh, it states that they state many times, and actually over the next few issues, they state many times that Eternals cannot be killed, but that their injuries can last forever. Yet, Thena has shown that she has this power to rearrange molecules, and she says, and when I do this, it heals you. It would make sense. If you have a cut, you Rearrange your molecules to seal the cut. So, so why is it that Eternals are afraid of being like permanently damaged for the rest of time? Because they should just be able to use their
2: rearranging molecules power to heal themselves. Probably still really hurts. So, they probably are like, I don't want my arm cut off because it actually is quite painful. (laughs) No, but that's not how they phrase it. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Anyway, let's keep on going over to this issue here, number 15. Do you want to do this one?
0: Issue 15 is titled Disaster Area. And so we have um, Icarus continuing his battle with the cosmic-powered Hulk. Um, and also being interrupted by
2: a bunch of reporters. And that's pretty much it. What I like about this is that this is kind of the first time Kirby has revisited the Hulk since the 60s. Because like, he, he is a co-creator of the Hulk. And he did a bunch of the Hulk stories um, later on in the Tales to Astonish Days. And then he left Marvel. And then when he came back, he didn't revisit any of the characters that he had done before. He didn't do Ant-Man. He didn't do Fantastic Four. Um, so seeing him revisit the Hulk here is actually kind of a treat for us to see him do to, to do Hulk in his style as it's as it's evolved in in through the 70s.
0: But it's not even the real Hulk.
2: Well, I know, but visually he does all the same things like the hopping from building to building, oh, which yeah, is something totally. the Hulk has kind of left behind by this point in the 70s uh, by Kirby Remembers these this this aspect of the character. Or Kirby hasn't been keeping up. Yeah, that's yeah, that's part of it. Too. He also unintentionally does like one of
0: those Sonic clap things because he tries to punch the uh, uh, Makari's ship and misses, and then like the shockwave sends him flying. Yeah.
2: Overall, I found that this this issue was kind of kind of boring. Uh, not a whole lot happened here. Yeah, it, it was just a bunch of let's try this power on him. Oh, it worked. Oh no, it didn't. And in this issue, also. Icarus takes a huge beating. He like gets completely pummeled by the Hulk. Yeah. But they've been they've been positioning this character as super strong and super powerful. Um but starting with this issue and moving forward, he kind of gets beaten up over and over again and they really diminish his own his own power set, I think. Yeah. Another one of those inconsistencies.
0: Yeah, and then uh and we'll get to this I guess, but um he's drugged or or somehow inhibited from using his eye blast, which is like... Like his big thing and yeah but this this is the um issue where uh with the reporters they're very clear that this is not you know this is this is um from a comic this is a character yeah. from a comic book and they're like uh where is it page 301 um these comic fans think that all of Marvel's characters are running amok what's really happening
2: yeah 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 they're they're very very blatant with the fact that I like the other fans like what's next with the inhuman's gonna show up yeah <laughs> was is Thor fighting Doctor Doom yeah Well, uh, I don't think we need to say anything more about this issue. Shall we move on to the next one? Issue number sixteen, Big City Crypt, with the crypt in the font of the Tales of the Crypt. Oh yeah, I've noticed that. EC Comics. In this issue, Zerus finally steps in to finish the Hulk. We haven't seen him since the Unimind stuff, and so this is kind of an issue where we're going to get to see him in action and what he can do in uh, the the result of of the Hulk battle is is a great tomb opening up in the ground revealing like this empty prison that once held this guy named Dromedan the brain snatcher he's escaped and he can control the minds of of people that are around him. So Zeus, Zeus, Zeus finds this uh, the helmet that contained him. And you gotta stick it back on his head to contain him so you can't control people's minds. And this is another one of the, it reminds me of the annual story where we're introduced to a random character who's causing a problem so part of me kind of likes this just forgetting about the celestial story and exploring more of the eternals and their characters but then the other part of me is like why did they abandon this why did he abandon what this happens story? yeah come on how is the earth but, judged but i also know that like we're talking about the next 50 years yeah so like maybe we can just forget about the celestials because they're literally not moving for 50 years so let's just uh yeah move the on deviants are just gonna stuff. deviants aren't gonna keep trying to blow them up or something it would be yeah, 50 years. I don't know. That's right. <laughs> they so should You're do telling that. me that in,
1: in a few years we can expect a big Marvel event? Right. Yeah, probably. Yeah,
2: because yeah, that 50 I mean, years is yeah. coming up. That's right. <laughs> should do that. Too bad the Earth has been judged like multiple times since then.
0: Part of what Zerus' whole thing was, was that we have to let the humans know of our existence and work with them yeah. to tell them what to expect and to help them, like, be better so that they're judged favorably. And then it's like, okay, well, we're just gonna say, here we are, and then go about our business and not talk about the Celestials ever again.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's a it's a weird situation. Yeah,
0: I mean, I totally agree. It's, it's great that we're seeing more exploration of these characters, but... but only only some of them. Yeah, only some of them. And also, uh, that was a really big plot point to their entire existence, and now it's gone. Well, it's not gone. It's just Unhold. they're not talking about it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, the Celestials—the issue has popped up randomly in other things and through a good chunk of Thor. Yep. With the Eternals saga, but
2: that all comes after. Yeah. After this, well,
1: I mean, even Drumaton pops back up in in Thor. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Cool. We'll have to uh, tackle those issues. Carcass shows up. Yeah, I think I think that's on our docket yep. in the near future. Um Yeah, Drumaton shows up. evian show up. All of those guys. I think there was an attempt by Marvel to try and bring closure to the the story. Oh, definitely. Um, too bad it would have. Been cool to see Kirby do the Thor, like the Eternals saga in Thor, even if he just did the art, just for like splash pages of like an angry Thor trying to lightning bolt a celestial. <laughs> oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's an interesting, you know, interesting thing. Then like Zarus being able to absorb the power back out of the cosmic Hulk was
0: was odd. And I, I don't know the, that he, the, I don't know that he absorbed it out. I think he just like like basically made a hole out. so that it started leaking.
1: The thing I thought it was interesting was the sort of the setting in the caves. It reminded me of the old Fantastic Four where the they're going in to find the Hulk through the cave yeah, story. Right. And um, we're set again in some random caves where there's this horrid monster that you have to hunt down and yeah. we're not totally sure if we're ready. And, and it, is I just after I was, they defeat the Hulk. I was going to say, <laughs> right after they defeated the Hulk, I like that. I don't know if it was an intentional callback or just Kirby's like, I want to draw a cave today.
0: Or or monsters always hide in caves. Thir- turns out that this
1: 13 pages thing is a lot and I'm running out of background. <laughs> <laughs> i've been doing a lot of splash pages i'm just gonna do some great
0: well that's what uh that's what Cooper does right like like when he gets starts getting behind in his his uh artwork uh which one uh andy i think it is andy Cooper. when he starts getting behind in his work like the backgrounds all of a sudden become very plain
2: <laughs> yeah that's a, a normal thing with most artists actually the last few issues the last few pages of the issues um <laughs> are a lot more plain than the, the opening ones uh okay issue number 17
0: interestingly on this one on the cover the um the the pre-title on the eternals changes from uh when gods walk the earth to the diabolical dromedon battles
2: the Eternals. that reads weird i thought it was like the diabolical dromedon battles colon the the, the, the eternals yeah (laughs) the battles of dromedon yeah uh, this one is called Circe the Terrible, and uh, Circe steps in to to help fight Dramadan, and. Uh, creates the illusion of multiple Icaruses to confuse and stuff. Icarai. Uh, Icarai, sure. <laughs> but I like that aspect of Circe as well because we've only really seen her kind of being goofy and funny, and so this is the kind of the only real time she gets a chance to show herself in battle.
0: Yeah, and you know this is sort of she's brushed off as being just a silly, flighty woman, uh, typical patriarchal type stuff, um, which was also in previously when like. Eject first encounters the Eternals, and then all the women are just, like, awning over him and treating and right. him, like, some sort of, like, plaything. Yeah, Yeah.
1: There are definitely some outdated portrayals yes. throughout this. Yes. Even Cersei's original portrayal of oh, yeah. like, the house. Oh, yeah. Totally.
2: And... Yeah. But anyway, she gets her moment here. And yeah, uh, Icarus says... Foolish female. That's right. He never says foolish male. No one ever says foolish male. (laughs) No. It's always foolish female. Yeah. Well, well, if you wanted to stick with the alliteration,
1: it would have to be something more like, um, like moronic man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that'd be a great superhero team, actually. It's moronic man and foolish female. (laughs) And they're
2: their trusted, stupid sidekick. I like the design of this guy he kind of looks like a mummy so I think uh, I don't know if it's intentional but I mean he's kind of made of rocks and stuff but uh, he looks he looks cool that's about it though, because he's just kind of a monster, lumbering monsterish yeah, kind of and, character. Yeah, and he's
0: got this um, mind power, so he doesn't actually do
2: anything. He stands there and he like controls mind. <laughs> Which that that bothered me that their solution to stopping him was to like encase him in cement because right. he wasn't really doing anything anyway. No, and his mind is still exposed, so he still control your mind. Yeah. I mean, even if it was under concrete, he could still control your mind. So it was kind of a silly solution to the problem. Right. Right.
0: I think the idea like is that he's still pretty strong yeah, so in order sure. to get close to him for the helmet but then they hesitated yeah yeah um should have gone for the head I should have gone for the head one thing that's interesting in this is um Icarus talking about Vulcan because on page 198 of his collection um back in issue 11 or 12 he calls Vulcan his uncle right because he and
2: drew are cousins right
0: yeah and then here page 344 he calls him father. Yeah, Whoops! I Uh-oh. saw
2: that. Yeah, I was Uh-oh. I was a bit confused. And at first yeah, first. <laughs> and then
0: back uh, further in the next
2: issue, page three fifty one, it's back to Uncle. Oh, Kirby, yep. you should have had an editor to keep things like this straight. <laughs> I feel like his poor editors were a bit handicapped throughout this. Well, he was the editor. He is credited as editor for this throughout these issues. So he doesn't... He There's a consulting editor like Marv Wolfman and, and Archie Goodwin. But because of Kirby's status at this point, I'm pretty sure their jobs were just pass the pages over to the colorist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, at the very end of this
0: issue, we revisit the Polar Eternals now home from being the Unimind. Yep. And uh, we mentioned it before. We didn't mention it when it happened. The um, the Unimind breaks up, and everybody just sort of goes away. And there's no purpose. <laughs> there's, there's no purpose. Nothing happened to that. They're supposed to like yep.
2: find out some secrets of to of the, about the Celestials well, or see, something I, I, like that. I, I was right?
0: unsure about that. It's like part of the time, it seems like they're supposed to be like extra powerful and therefore able to defeat the Celestials. Or sometimes it feels like they're supposed to become enlightened and. And determine a solution, and they never really talk about it. But anyway, we're we're now back in Russia, I guess, uh, with the polar eternals, and Druig, son of Vulcan, starts to hatch a scheme, which we will find out what that is in the next issue. Well, no, you know, you find out
1: at the end it says right in the
0: black box to kill a space god. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> it's right there in the teaser. Which happens to be the title of the next issue.
2: Okay, so this next issue, issue 18, To Kill a Space God. I found that there is a big flaw in this whole concept. I, there's so many flaws. So many in flaws. In all of this back half of Kirby's Kirby's ex, uh, Eternals. Yeah. But, so Druig knows that there is a big weapon, okay? Yeah. He knows that there's a big weapon. Yeah. He doesn't know where it is. So he's trying to get his... He's trying to like torture his buddy. What's the buddy's name? Sigmar. Sigmar to try and reveal the location. And Sigmar's like, I don't know the location, but Icarus knows the location. Okay, so now that he, ha- so now Druid has to kidnap Icarus, and he- I- Icarus is like, I'm not telling you the location, but his this little symbol reveal is revealed on his forehead that gives away the location. But then when they get to the location, Sigmar knows a secret entrance to the location. Yes. So like, what? <laughs> he had a map of the location, but
0: he didn't know where
1: it was. Right. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs>
0: But
2: but uh, but then also,
0: uh, Druig, when he gets to that the pyramid and now we're like mixing issue eighteen and nineteen a bit. But uh, Druig knows all sorts of things about this. He knows, hey, there's going to be this trap, and I can't just fly in there. I've got to have a force field, and then when I get there, then I have to like decode this wall symbol stuff. And he knows all about that. But he didn't, and he knows where it is too. Right. But he didn't know what was in it. <laughs> and then yeah. and then um, when Icarus goes with Sigmar to the pyramid, Sigmar is telling him all about the pyramid and what's in there, but Icarus is supposed to know because he was denying. He's like, I won't tell you. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> if you
2: didn't know, how could you not tell? How could you tell him in the first place? It's just bad storytelling. Yeah. And like, here's another instance of icarus being really easily defeated yeah really easily defeated and in sigmar even says i have a way to shut down his eye beams so he won't escape this little thing so like there we go right like really what is the point of icarus
0: and this would have been a really good time to try and wrap up the celestial story um but then icarus ends up boiling that and so then we don't get a resolution to the celestial story
2: And here's the thing I also don't understand is what happened to all of the other deviants. Because all of the other deviants came above ground to partner with the Eternals. To come up with a solution. But we don't see Toad or anybody it's, kind of ever again. kinda got abandoned after the After the Unimind.
1: Well, but before the Unimind, like after the Russian incident, the Deviants launched their spaceship Energy while bomb. the Eternals yep. were doing the Unimind and the Deviant City got attacked, and there's not really much interaction between the Deviants and the Eternals after that, except yeah. for where
2: Cersei brings two of them back to Right. But now they're forgotten as well. Yeah. So it's like Well and no, they're hanging out with Gilgamesh right, right. <laughs> but so now druig and the druig and the and sigmar have pretty much taken the position of the deviants now because now they are the opposing forces kind of and the with with the with the alternative solution that the eternals don't want to do but like now we have two eternals going going after each other when yeah. it should have been eternals versus deviants right just think i wasn't clear. so is sigmar a deviant like what is sigmar exactly he's an eternal they
1: but are they's one of the polar he's one of the polar, boys, of the polar, polar eternal because they call him wizard at one point
2: well, I think that's a reference to his powers or something like that. But they all have powers. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but... They all have the same powers, but different. Like, because I, wasn't, Sig- I wasn't clear if he was... Like... Is Sigmar one of the ones in that ship? That's in... just what I'm looking up here. Because there's um there's the father, Varg... What's his name? Vulcan. 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 Uh, and there's Druig, and there's Torturer, and there's no, one... Druig, one... Is the D- oh, Druig is the Torturer. Oh, Druig is the Torturer. Yeah, there's
0: Agnar and... Agnar and Zarin. Yeah, he's not even oh, the No, so he's not even he's in not the Sigmar, like yeah. That's why I wasn't clear if okay. he's like a servant to them, because like... Ajak
1: has a bunch of like random Aztecs who work for him. That's true. And so I wasn't clear if, and Sigmar is one of those guys who, he shows up for three issues. Like he's never, he's one of the guys that Marvel has been like, yeah, we're okay if you don't come back. and um which is too bad because he's got such a fancy hat yeah but um like i don't know i was never totally clear because he doesn't really strike me like he's not even on sprites level of like powers for the eternals like he's a pretty yeah he's
0: nothing
2: um, let's go on to issue 19
0: now let's do that yeah so issue 19 is called the pyramid and uh you know icarus and sigmar and druig are all in the pyramid and uh, trying to uh, either find this weapon to defeat the stossuels or stop them and when Icarus stops Druig from firing the weapon. The weapon becomes destroyed, and all the celestial energy just like is unleashed. Um, it's going to it's threatening to destroy the entire structure. And Sigmar trips and falls or something, and says, "Leave me, save yourself." And Icarus goes, "No, I'm going to save you as well." And I'm thinking, well, if he's an eternal, eternals can't die. So why are they afraid of just uh, of him like die? He's just going to be buried under rock for a long time. So maybe he's not an eternal forever,
2: like. Literally forever. Oh, man. Well, again,
1: like at one point in that same issue, Icarus refers to uh, Druig as family,
2: but he doesn't refer to... To uh, Sigmar. Sigmar as Right. Yeah, we get the impression that all of the polar Eternals are family, uh, distant, uh, uh, you know, relatives of, of Icarus. Right. But then Sigmar, I guess, is not. And he's again referred to as wizard. Yeah. Well, this is the final issue, and we finally get to see a confrontation with a celestial, Uh, this pink-purple celestial. Does he have a name in this issue? Zirin. Zirin the Tester. Oh, yeah, Zirin. That's right. And this issue kind of wraps up in one page, basically saying... Um, well, we tried, but I guess we're just going to have to let them do what they're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, it was the most
1: disappointing ending. Like the weapon fails. He's the Zirin's like, Yeah, I'm unfazed by the fact that you've just released all this cosmic energy that could destroy me. Here's I'm just gonna me to like, waving my hand, no big deal. Yep. And then yeah, like it was such a I don't know, a disappointing finish to to considering the amount of buildup that went into
2: into the story. But I think that's yeah, part of why
0: like like from issue one it's in your face it's huge yeah and then it's just gone
2: yep yeah and i think kirby probably like he obviously knew this was the end like he was leaving all of his books at this point wrap up in a very uh unsatisfying way like devil dinosaur's ending is just ridiculous and so like it's not a surprise that we've come to this point knowing the history of kirby's involvement at marvel over the years that we've come to this point with an unsatisfying ending, but it's still like so jarring and leaves you wanting more. It's the Game of
1: Thrones of comics.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I told you. Yeah, except Kirby didn't, he's not like, I'll be back to finish it up, I promise. (laughs) He just left it. So I think that we definitely do need to read these Thor issues to find out what happens with this judgment because that's kind of the purpose of, of the turtles right yeah it, I mean yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't
1: know that anyone's gonna be entirely satisfied from the Thor issues either but at least they attempt to give you some closure
2: uh okay well here's what i liked i like individually i think i like all of the main eternals that are introduced here i like circe uh oh we didn't talk about the giant party the hoedown. oh that yes she... <laughs> yeah,
0: she turns the newsroom into a hoedown
2: yeah I, that and that showed me like i think circe is probably the most powerful out of all of the eternals i think if she's able to just on a whim completely rearrange you know the, the molecules room. of everything so, so can Athena. But Thina did it on such a smaller scale, I think, and she she positioned her rearranging as illusions, whereas Circe uh, actually physically changed that room into a, a right. barn. And and Sprite <laughs> has that ability as well, but Circe has other abilities that she's also shown. Right. Yeah, she can fly, and or can she fly? Did she fly? Yeah, yeah, yeah she, yeah, she, she flew. That's she right. And Icarus together yeah, 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 make yeah. other people fly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So, I don't know. Um, so, I like the I like the characters. I think that they are good concepts that just need to be explored and developed, and I'm glad that they eventually are by other writers. Should we eventually do, like, all of the Eternal spinoffs in some future episode? then?
0: <laughs> there are some pretty good Eternal stories, I think. Um, and, yeah, I-, I would agree. You know, these are good starting points for these characters, and where they eventually get with um, uh, some of the
2: other writers is really good. And we have a cosmic universe already with the the creation of you know galactus and and the concepts we've seen in thor but this really is the ground the groundwork and the basis for marvel's cosmic history right here right with the celestials and right. they they kind of tie everything in with all of these, the cosmic beings that come from from this point in in history, in Marvel history, they, they tie it back to the Celestials. Reading it, I didn't. It was
1: definitely not my favorite twenty books I've yeah. ever read from Marvel. Yeah, <laughs> there were things about it, like you said, that I really appreciated, and I can see what has inspired writers to go back and and pull things out of this book to to take some of these characters and to expand on them, to explore them, to revisit some of these concepts. And I wonder if Kirby, if he'd been given an assurance that he would have had time to properly develop it like i think he you can almost sense his his tension at trying to get as much done as he could because i don't think he felt confident he would be given the time he needed to tell his story and i think that he was jamming so much in as a result and he he wasn't i mean he was proven right in the end he didn't he only got 19 issues like he didn't even get a full
2: two-year run well i i want to know at how soon in advance of that last issue he knew he was going to leave Because based on the inconsistencies that he had around issues, you know, 13, 14, like did he know at that time he was going to leave because he abandons concepts and changes things and is, is just kind of, he muddles his way through those last issues to the point where I think maybe he didn't have a plan or or if he, if he was given more time, it wouldn't have made a difference. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. it the, the the ending of this, I don't know if you guys ever watched that old show, well, not that old, but the,
1: the show um, Life on Mars. It was a really interesting high concept show about a cop in New York who gets thrown back in Like he's investigating murder, gets thrown back in time to the exact same thing and he's back in the 1970s instead of being in the year 2000 and he's he's investigating a crime there instead and they expected him but he uh, keeps randomly hearing voices and references to the future and he starts to realize the two crimes are connected but then at the last minute the show got canceled and the writers were given the heads up like hey you have to wrap everything up you're not getting another season after all <laughs> oh. and so it turns out with no other solution and spoiler alert for everyone if you actually can even find the show anywhere <laughs> um, but I will tell you that it's not worth watching because of the way they ended it um, but spoiler alert because they had to wrap it up at the last minute there, they were like, "Okay, I guess he's just in a coma, and he's he's hallucinating." That was the oh, whole thing. It's oh, it's all a dream because they oh. they literally had no <laughs> other way to wrap it up. Right. And um, he's well, it's not a dream. He was, he was in sorry, he wasn't in a coma. He was in, um, in a, uh, like an induced coma in a, on like a space mission. Oh. Um, but, uh, like that was still there. Like oh, how that's was... the Mars part. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, you're <yeah. laughs> so clever, Eric. <laughs> um, and that's sort of what this reminded me of too was like, oh dear, I've been given, like, you have one month, wrap it up, you get one issue, go. Yeah. And yep. Um, yep. you're scrambling to do it. Exactly. But I, I do wonder if, if he'd been given an assurance, like, hey, we're going to give you, like you get 36 issues or you're going to get 40 issues or you get you get a 24 issue run like it's a maxi series but you, we're guaranteeing that we'll finish the book. Would he have paced it out differently or not? Or like did he actually start with no idea where he was going and he was rambling through and that's why editors were like you have no idea what you're doing here's the Hulk stick him in a book.
0: Right. And you know <laughs> like I get more of that feel. It, it, it really feels like he had this concept and was making it up as he went along. Um, it didn't seem like there was actually much of a plan anywhere,
2: which admittedly a lot of writers do. A lot of writers, like I was talking to Steve Englehart about West Coast Avengers, and he has this huge twelve-part story or whatever called Lost in Space Time, and he told me that you know he just started and he didn't know what the ending was going to be, and he says the fun of it is digging yourself into a big hole and trying to climb out of it. <laughs> so it's like he he did these random time things where they went through different points in time and things happen and he's like how am I going to connect this all and wrap it up in a satisfying way in the end yeah
0: and and it's only recently with people like Jonathan Hickman where they start having the grand five-year plan of yeah of what's going to happen
2: yeah uh, and that works for some people and it doesn't work for others and I really don't think that's how Kirby is here because it's obvious that
0: Engelhardt he... should have
1: included Zardas in his time thing and that <laughs> would have wrapped it up Zardas <laughs> appears and
2: solves your big hole in the ground or maybe <laughs> he's the cause of it I don't know okay well you know Thank you for indulging me to read these issues, even if they weren't the best. It was interesting. The yeah. And
0: the art was fantastic.
1: I I wouldn't like as much as I would, I would warn listeners like this is not Kirby's best work. If you want, if you just want to experience Kirby at his best, there are way better examples of that. But mm-hmm. this book has filtered out, like it has roots into much of the other Marvel universe. So if you're like, you really want to start digging into the, like mining the pits of the Marvel universe and really seeing where things come from, from I mean this book has influenced Thor it's influenced the Avengers it has Fantastic War uh, yeah uh, Infinity like,
0: Gauntlet had Celestials yeah, in many it.
1: many of the major cosmic events yeah Um. so it, they all trace back to this so if you're if you're like a diehard person who really wants to start to go deep into Marvel Universe and uh, this is something you should read it's worth the effort from that standpoint and especially if you're familiar with any of those books if you're a big Avengers fan and you've read the other Avengers books it's interesting to see how Avengers Avengers has been shaped or influenced by this you can find traces of that or Thor for sure especially especially that period of Thor with Williamson and stuff where he was out in space like where he sort of had that cosmic Thor era you can see traces of this book um, through that so like I do think it's worth worth reading from that standpoint it's I, definitely I FF like if you're a Fantastic Four oh, fan yeah. for sure again I think yeah. it, it, you can see or it.
0: or you know Silver Surfer or Thanos or any of that stuff Well,
1: I mean but they've, they've retconned it that Thanos is actually a
2: Deviant so really, yeah. this whole thing has influenced everything Marvel. Well, exactly. I just feel sorry for the people who watch the movie and are like, oh, man, I love the Eternals. I'm going to check out a comic book for the very first time. I've never read a comic book before by Eternals, by Jack Kirby. This is not the book for it, those if, people. No,
1: if you're, if you're one of those people who watch the Eternals movie and you want to read them in comics, and there is no comic book that will line up with the movie. But if you want to no. read the comics, you got to do the Neil Gaiman, Rod John Romita Jr. one. It's the closest to the movie, um, but even then, it's... Yeah,
2: it's
0: still... Or there, yeah. are, there are presently two Eternals titles going on, one The Eternals and one Eternal Thanos Rising, and both of those would be better than this, I think. I think
2: those would be way more... Yeah, any of those... Any of the modern, you know, post-2000 Eternals runs are way more accessible to fans of and, the movie than and, this book. And just book, more
0: yeah. more fleshed
2: out. Yeah,
1: the, yeah. this is definitely not a book for the Marvel Cinematic Universe fans. This is a book for the Marvel comic books fans who yeah. really want to get deep into the, the rich sort of... History. History, the history lore, and oeuvre yeah. of the Marvel Universe.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I'm glad that I read this. Um, It's been really interesting. Or if you can't read and you just like really cool pictures, oh, this yeah. book is for
1: you. Like, <laughs> you really you ignore yeah. the words and just Look at the cool, really cool pictures. Yeah, that would work. Yeah.
2: Okay, thanks everybody for taking a listen to our two-part Eternals uh, episodes. And I hope that you had a good time reading through these uh, issues uh, along with us, um, even if they weren't the easiest to read. But I want to uh, thank Craig and thank Eric for joining me on this as well. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or YouTube, go right ahead and you'll be uh, up to date on all the things that have to do with the Epic Marvel Podcast. Uh, you can join my Epic Collection group on Facebook where we just talk about Epic Collections all day. Just search for Epic Collection on Facebook and you'll be able to find us there. But other than that, that's it. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.